This morning, uh, if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 6, we'll start in verse 37. If I titled this message, it would be Good Measure, and the subtitle would be Jesus and the Doctrine of His Abundance. Is that exciting to you all? I mean, it's probably either going to hit you in a way that you feel excited or you feel skeptical, depending on what kind of messages you've heard on abundance. Jesus and the doctrine of His abundance. I'm excited to try to preach this message today. I'm, I've felt uplifted as I've tried to prepare for it. And this is something I believe deeply, that He uh, has a heart of abundance for His people. That's what we're going to try to talk about today. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. I'm going to pray as you're, you're getting there. Dear Jesus, oh, Holy Father, we come before you today, Lord, humbled, thankful. I have felt your presence already this morning. And I'm thankful, God, that we have an opportunity to feel your presence without a lot of the religious noise that sometimes accompanies it. Thank you for the still, small voice of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for those who wait on you. And this morning, we just ask you, open our hearts, open our minds, help me as I try to stand, use me, and get my own self out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Jesus is speaking here, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You can tell I'm a little overwhelmed by that this morning. And I'll try not to get overly emotional because I still need to be able to talk, but it's it's. Interesting to me that if you have a Bible that has subheadings, uh, the, the text wasn't written that way, but translators added them for the sake of clarity and convenience. Most of the translations have something about judging as the heading of this paragraph. It might say judging others or it might say do not judge. Do you all think that's the focus of this when I read the whole paragraph? That's not the focus. There's... A couple of short statements made about not judging, and I'm going to get into what that means. But the focus of this is something like a life ethic, how we should live, and what will happen if we live that way. The focus of this is God's heart, Jesus' heart for His people. Not rules about what you're not allowed to do. So let's understand that. First, and I'll read this again, the focus verse. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. might explain this more later, but there are at least two uh, idioms or colloquial expressions that, that are related to this verse that probably come from this verse. Have you ever used the expression, just for good measure? Have you ever used the expression, it just fell in my lap? You understand that's what God wants for us? He wants us to be a people who from the heart exclaim with amazement, it just fell in my lap. God provided. 
He gave me what I needed. He blessed me in a way that was more than I expected. It was even more than I could have asked for or desired. That's scriptural. Sometimes, I'll, I'll give a little, I don't know, disclaimer, introduction, because, you know, a lot of us grew up around religion, and religion messes things up. Sometimes we avoid or shy away from certain scriptural truths because unscriptural preachers have hijacked, twisted, and perverted the scripture. They've turned it into their own doctrine. And this is one of those passages that a lot of, I call them health, wealth, and prosperity preachers, they hijack this, they twist it, they pervert it into their own doctrine. I don't, I don't do that. I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher. Those of you who have heard me uh, know that. I'm not promising you your best life now because that's not what Jesus promised. In fact, that's the opposite of what Jesus promised. Jesus promised in this world you'll have trouble. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So I don't want anybody to misunderstand the burden on my heart this morning is not that you're going to have material abundance in this life and it's going to be the best life you could ever have. What I believe is the best life is waiting for us. And at the same time, God can bless us abundantly while we're here. It's not one or the other. If people have adopted this mindset, either they're in the health, wealth, and prosperity category, name it and claim it in faith, get whatever you want. People go so far with that as to say, thank God as if it's already happened. Well, you could do that if you want to, but he's not conformed to your... He doesn't have to do what you asked. So in one way, that's kind of silly. You understand what I'm saying? You can have faith, but it doesn't mean God's going to do it. It might be better if he doesn't. Maybe he knows better than you do. So let's don't take that out of context. That's one extreme. The other extreme is maybe what some of us are more used to is we've got a good life coming, we've got a good life waiting, we've got mansions in heaven, and this whole world's just going to be full of trouble and misery and sorrow, and we're just going to suffer through it until we're done. Those are two extremes, neither of which are accurate. Jesus said... I'll go, I was going to quote this later, but I'll go ahead and quote it. The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus taught. He said, I came so you could have abundant life. Not just in eternity, but now. But don't take the abundance out of context, okay? So, with that introduction, it doesn't matter if other people have preached things inaccurately. We don't need to be afraid to preach scriptural truth just because somebody else did it in an unscriptural way. So, brothers and sisters, we don't need to be afraid of the abundance of God, the abundance of God, just because there are false prosperity teachers. They're all around. A lot of them are scam artists. You know that. You know that. And I'm, there's no reason to name any of them by name, but you, you know some of the ones that, that are out there. We ought to Preach and embrace the truth no matter how many people have misused it. We don't need to be reactive. We don't need to be on the defense as God's people. We just need to live pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Jesus Christ and not give in to any of the noise around us, religious or not. So this morning, I'm going to try to preach about the abundance of Jesus and try not to be scared of somebody misunderstanding. <laughs> Because we need to preach and embrace the truth. And one of the truths of Scripture is the law of the harvest. That's all through Scripture, Old and New Testament. 
You get what you give, is another way of saying it. That is a scriptural idea. I'll read from Galatians 6, just a little to to, to support that. Galatians 6, 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall reap of the Spirit life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. I could give you scripture after scripture of support, but I want to dwell on this passage from Luke this morning. But there is, there is a law of the harvest. You will reap what you sow. And this is not where my heart is this morning, but I feel the need to say it. Sometimes a person makes mistakes in their life, sins, they do something they shouldn't have, God saves them. They repent, He forgives them, they still have to pay the penalty. I've known of people that the Lord saved and they still had to finish their jail sentence. God doesn't erase what happened. He forgives you. And that's another sermon for another day, but that's why we're taught to forgive, not to forget. There's a difference. We have this idea of forgive and forget. There's a human condition for forgetting. It's called amnesia. You're not built to forget. You're supposed to remember. When your brother wrongs you, you're not supposed to forget it. You're supposed to forgive him. It's very different. And again, that's a different sermon I don't have time to spend on, but I just I, I needed to say that. Now, back to this text that is so beautiful. Good measure... Press down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I read this passage this week, and it hit me in a way that it never has before, and I feel like I'm struggling to even attempt to get across what God put in my heart. So I'll just do the best I can and pray His Holy Spirit will will help with what He does, what I can't do. This passage, as I said, is something like a life ethic. It's something like how we should live as God's people. We should not live reactively or defensively. We don't need to be on our hills, heels. Jesus has uh, taught us, and I talked about this last week, we're supposed to go into all the world. Not sit back, be afraid, and wait. We, We don't have something that we're supposed to defend ourselves against because that's not the way we got it. God doesn't need to be defended. And the purpose of the gospel is not to put up some kind of protective shield around us. The purpose of the gospel is to be proclaimed in all nations, in the face of ridicule and criticism and doubt, and sometimes even death. The gospel is to be proclaimed. We don't proclaim it to make our lives better. We proclaim it to be faithful to Jesus. And so we don't have to worry about the results. The results are up to God. I say that to myself because it's hard for me. I'm a driven person. I'm a results-oriented person. I'm a plan five or ten years in the future person. You know what? This is part of what God is showing me in my life. 
Somebody asked me the other day, what has God been teaching you lately? And I said, the main theme of my life lately, the last few years, is all of my own strength is an illusion. God wants to bless me with His blessings. Not something I did. This ties in for me because God is the one who wants to dump things in my lap. (laughs) Blessings in my lap. Not accomplishments in my hands. Do you understand the difference? Do you you feel it? Like I said, I don't know how to get this across, but man, it's in my heart. So I want to ask you this morning, this is a personal question. I want you to dig down and think about it. The way you approach life, let's step back from church for a minute, from Sunday morning. The way you approach life, do you have a scarcity mindset or an abundance mindset? And I almost hesitate to use the word mindset because then you get into this new agey teaching. That's not what I mean. But do you have a a posture toward the world that is scarcity and defense and cowering and, and hiding and protecting yourself? Or do you have a posture toward the world of abundance? You see how my posture changed? How do you live in the How do you carry yourself? Not just your body, but in your heart. God is, when He saves somebody, He changes us. There's a reason Scripture says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A lot of people, God saves them. They're saved. They're going to go to heaven one day, and then they get conformed back to the world. That's why we're told not to do that, because it's something that can happen. You don't even look like a saved person anymore, because you're walking around scared, afraid, uncertain, trepidation about the future. What's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know if I should give this money, because I might not have any more. That kind of heart set. But when God saves us, He wants to transform us. People should be able to tell you're a child of God. Not by the clothes you wear, not by a little bumper sticker with a fish on it, none of that stuff. Not a t-shirt. You should be clothed. Scripture says clothed in humility, but you should be clothed in something that is beyond you that people, they may not know what it is, but they see it and say there's something different. So again, ask yourself, do I have an abundance attitude toward the world or a scarcity attitude? Do you feel like, well, I wish I could give more, but I'm, I just, I might not have it. Or do you feel like, I'm going to give what God puts in my heart. And he'll take care of the rest. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about you. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand. Do you live like that? Or do you live like, man, I better hold on to this because I don't know what's going to happen. Let me tell you what I've seen in my life. Every bit of good that I have is a gift from God. There's nothing I've ever given from the right place in my heart that I've regretted. I've helped some people out of guilt for the wrong reason, and I realized that wasn't wise. But even that I don't really regret because it was still with an attitude of generosity. See what I mean? 
you, you learn from these things and, and you have more wisdom, but I'd rather err on that side than on the side of scarcity and tight fist. And in my life, I've seen people that have been blessed abundantly and they always have this, this mindset of abundance. Spiritual blessings, financial blessings, material blessings, family blessings, this attitude of, well, I can't outgive God. And we can't. So why are we living like afraid to give? Afraid to let go? Remember I said last week, you, you, you can't hold on. The, the blessings of God, the manna of God, isn't meant to be hoarded. If it is, it'll rot. You're supposed to use the blessing He gave you today, give the rest, the leftovers, and He'll give you more tomorrow. So, I'll ask again what I asked last week. Are you a save for a rainy day Christian or a give us this day our daily bread Christian? I don't know the answer for you, but I hope you'll really dig in and figure it out. The second one's a whole lot better, I promise. God, uh, in Scripture, accurate weights and measures are very important to Him. Uh, this cultural context is when they sold grain or meal or some other um, material, that they would have a scale, they would weigh it against something else to make sure the weight was accurate, or certain kinds of material would be measured in bushels or something like that in, in a basket. And if, if the seller was unscrupulous, he'd just kind of throw it in there and, and make it look filled up. Y'all ever bought a bag of chips at the grocery store and you think, where did all the chips go? And then these manufacturers are smart. They say, packed by weight, not volume. So you got this big old bag of air with 16 ounces of chips in the bottom. A little crumbles. Aren't you glad that our God doesn't measure things like Frito-Lay? I'm not trying to be cute. I mean, from my heart. Aren't you glad that He's not splitting hairs over whether He's measuring by weight or volume? Aren't you glad that He's not like some of these people when they sold something, they would throw it in the basket and make sure it looked filled up, but it wasn't really. He says good measure. Good measure means more than you actually paid for. So you're going to get, let's say you bought a cup of something. There's a cup, and then there's some more on top just in case. And then it's pressed down, squished in. You ever feel like the blessing of God squishes into your spirit and it just pours out? I felt like that at the end of service last week. It was such a blessing. But not just good measure, not just more than you bargained for. Pressed down, not just pressed down, but shaken together just to make sure. Shake it down inside there. Press it down and then just in case that's not enough, running over. Spilling out of the container. And then, just in case that's not enough, it's all going to be dumped in your lap. You don't have to pick it up with your hands and worry about it falling through your fingers. We live that way sometimes. God, I've got this blessing in my hands. Oh no, how am I going to hold on to it? It's not your job to hold on to it. He's going to dump it in your lap if you quit trying to do it on your own. This message is probably more for me than anybody else this morning, and I'm going to preach it because it's making me feel good. I'm thankful. 
I'm thankful that God gives us more than required. He could have given us just enough. He could have just saved us and then left us to wander like a lot of people live. But that's not what he did. He's so good. He doesn't just give us more than required. He packs it down, spills it over, dumps it in our lap. This is not a new doctrine. This is not a new idea. This uh, idea of what kind of attitude, what kind of heart focus are you going to live in the world? Abundantly or scarcity? It's in the Old Testament. And uh, this is not a sermon on tithing, but I want to read this passage because it's Scripture. It's part of the teaching of God. Malachi 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me now, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? God responds, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In this, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see, listen to this, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. When you read that, do you feel uncomfortable about the tithing part? Or do you feel exuberant about the blessing part? That'll tell you whether you're a scarcity or abundance mindset child of God. You feel like, oh no, here goes the preacher preaching about tithing again. Which, by the way, this church has never heard me preach. I probably preached three tithing sermons in my whole life. But I believe in it. I believe in it. And I've seen people who don't believe in giving to the Lord suffer financially. Not because God's mean, but because there is a law of the harvest. And it's not so much God is rewarding you for what you're doing. It's the way you live changes the way you live. When my, my wife and I, by the way, I don't know if you realized when we got married that you'll always be sermon material. Uh, she, she knows now. When we, have, when we get a little sideways with each other, when we have a little, we call it a skirmish, a little discussion, I notice that that feeds into that. And the longer we're in it, the longer we're in it. Next thing you know, we're noticing things we don't like about each other that we didn't even notice before. This is what a scarcity mindset does to you. I'm not talking, get away from that I'm just talking about money. It's so much bigger than that. But money is a tool that shows the condition of your heart. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you do with your money says a lot about where your heart is, and what you do with your time says a lot about where your heart is. But the point I'm making is when you get in that, that attitude, when we're having a little skirmish, we start to see all this stuff that we don't even usually notice. When you have a scarcity mindset, you start to live in such a way that everything looks impossible. 
Why doesn't anything ever work out? How come I can't get any job? How come no girl will go out with me? How come this doesn't work? How come that doesn't work? How come you know my sink is clogged up today on top of everything else? Well, your sink's clogged up because you poured hamburger grease down it. Three months ago. It's not because God's punishing you. You see what I mean? But, but it all feeds in and it becomes almost like a, a perfume, but a bad perfume. And the opposite is true as well. When we are in the heart of God and in the mode that God wants us to be in and trying to serve Him and keeping our eyes on Jesus and living abundantly without worry about tomorrow, it becomes like a sweet-smelling perfume to our Lord. A sweet-smelling offering. The perfume's for Him, not for us. You can live your life in such a way that you smell good to God. And it'll make your life better. There's enough to go around. God's blessings, listen, He's not going to run out. He gave us a lot last week. He wants to give us more today. He wants to give us more tomorrow, more Tuesday, more Wednesday. More. He's not going to run out. You don't have to live on the blessings of yesterday. He has more than enough for every present moment. <laughs> it just fell in my lap. I love that. You know, the truth of it is, I've said that. I've said that about my life at different times, about things that God provides, uh, jobs He's given me in the past, or currently in the way I make a living now through real estate. Sometimes I'll get a client and out of nowhere. I, that's, I say that, out of nowhere. <laughs> it's not really out of nowhere. It's from the heart of God. This person, this blessing, this interaction, this way He takes care of us, it's a blessing that gets placed in my lap. We're instructed, and I, I do this, this, I'm talking about tithing, giving, but also your life, not just the check you write to the congregation. We're instructed to give our first, first fruits to the Lord. The first fruits of our increase. Do you all still believe that? I don't know if a lot of people believe that anymore. Because I hear these discussions like, should you tithe pre-tax or after-tax? If that's what you're worried about, you're missing the point. You're not going to outgive God. If you tithe pre-tax and it's more money than you think it should have been, it's not going to be too much. What about time? Well, I, I just have this little bit of time. How much time do we really give to the Lord? And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that church is the only place to give time to the Lord. I'm not saying that. But we're here a couple hours a week. Out of 168, I think that's how many hours are in a week. That's not a lot, percentage-wise. So I'm asking you, I mean, I'm, are you giving time to the Lord the rest of the week? Are you? It doesn't have to be in a church building. In fact, a lot of it shouldn't be in a church building, because look who's here. A bunch of children of God, for the most part. And we're supposed to get to the people out there. So a lot of our time for the Lord should be out there. Well, let me ask you, how do you start your mornings? Say, oh, you've gone to metal and now, preacher. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I, sometimes I start my mornings poorly, too. And my day is not as good as it could have been. What do you do? Do you give the Lord the first fruits of your day? The first time you wake, the best time? 
You wake up 10 minutes early maybe to spend a little time in His Word before you get in the rat race, do you? I've done it both ways. It's a lot better when I do than when I don't. What do you do at night in your free time? Do you veg out in front of Netflix or Amazon or YouTube or some cable thing for three or four hours before bed? Or do you say, Lord, I need you to feed me. I need you to prepare me for tomorrow. What do you do? You scroll Facebook longer than you're prepared to admit? There's some good on there. But that device, I'm, I'm Facebook, social media is one of the biggest distractions. It's not an accident. We don't even know how much time we spend in there. I, I told you all before, one time I got one of those apps on my phone called Time Management or Quality Time, something like that. It tells me what I do on my phone. And I uninstalled it. Because I didn't want it to tell me what I did on my phone. Hours. And let me ask you this. I'm not trying to be mean, but I want you to go home and think about this. Do I spend more time scrolling Facebook or more time reading the Bible? Or you, some of you older ones, well, I'm not on Facebook. Good for you. Do you spend more time reading the newspaper or the Bible? Do you spend more time watching the news or thinking about the things of God? Which one? And I realize we don't live in some kind of religious vacuum. A lot of us, we still have to make a living. We still have to live in the world. That's all the Lord wants us to. He doesn't expect us to walk around like, like monks. Some of my very favorite time is on a lawnmower. That's working. I'm not doing anything religious, but my mind is clearing out, and I'm thinking, and I'm sometimes praying, and sometimes I love it. You can serve the Lord when you're doing something else. I want you to spend time, though, this week, not just today, to think about how do I actually interact with the Lord? Am I giving Him the best? He doesn't want all of it. You understand? He doesn't want all of your time. He doesn't want all of your money. He just wants the best portion of it. That's the scriptural model. Tithe is a tenth. If we gave the Lord the best 10% of our time and the best 10% of our earnings and the best 10% of our efforts, our church would be transformed. And our lives would be transformed. Because almost nobody actually does that. I'm telling you, in some ways, the key to have an abundant life. A better life. A happy life. A full life. So you don't even be afraid of it. Here's the point. Uh, and we could actually read it straight from Scripture instead of Pastor Josh's opinion. 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6. Point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has purposed in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will provide thanksgiving to God. Isn't that beautiful? So I, I want to ask you, are you sowing sparingly? 
Are you? Are you giving freely? Again, not just money, but it is partly about money. The, the local congregation has to have support. I, we live in a world that requires money to do things. That's, everybody knows that, but, but sometimes we kind of stick it over here and don't think about it. Let me tell you something. When God, when He puts it in your heart, here's the other part of this. Each one of you should give as you've purposed in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Here's what I'm saying. What you don't need to do is say, man, I feel guilty, that sermon. And then you reluctantly let go of a little more money and it just creaks out of your... That's not how... It'd be better not to give if you give that way. Really. Don't do it out of guilt. But when you say, Lord, this is all yours anyway. I'm not talking about words. I'm talking about in your heart. I didn't get any of this on my own. Everything I have is a blessing from you. What do you want me to do with it? One of the donations we got to help cover our church roof, I talked to the person who gave it. They wanted to be anonymous, but... He told me, I believe in tithing. I believe in it. And even though the future is uncertain, and even though we may need some of this later, I believe this is what we're supposed to do. Beautiful. The Lord will bless them. Maybe financially, maybe in other ways. But God is the God of blessing, the God of everything we need. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. I love that. I want to read a passage from Ephesians 3 as well. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit working all together as, as, as he does wants to give us abundantly more than we can even ask or think. You prepared for Him to do that? Some, some of us are afraid of that. What would it be like if God really gave us everything He wanted? To? Our lives would be transformed. You wouldn't have any room for stinginess. You wouldn't have any room for jealousy. You wouldn't have any room for that person over there. Why did He get that? Jesus taught against that too, didn't He? You remember the parable about... Uh, the landowner who hired people throughout different times of the day to work, and the one he hired in the early morning made the same daily wage as the one he hired that only worked an hour. And the guy who worked for 12 hours said, that's not fair, how come that guy got paid the same as me? That's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to keep our eyes on him and say, oh, he paid me more than I deserved. See, you don't know what that other person's been through. You don't know what they did another day for their master. You don't know what he's rewarding them for. You don't know. But the Lord does. I'm thankful. I want to close with our, with our mind on Jesus. I'm thankful Jesus never held back. I'm thankful he wasn't a save for a rainy day child of God. I'm thankful everything he did was full ahead. All out. 
no reservation. Not reckless. He wasn't reckless. He wasn't um, impetuous. He didn't fly into something without thinking about it. He did what it took to make sure he was on the right path. And then he did it. There were times that he went away from all the people. He stopped healing people. He went away by himself and he prayed to make sure he was doing what his father was pleased with. And then he went and did it. And there's times we should do that. There's times that we have to step away from religious activity to make sure we're doing what God wants. And then when we're sure, do it. Jesus never sat on the sidelines in fear. Aren't you thankful as many times as I've sat back in fear and wondered, the Lord never did that. He never gave in to apathy. I thank God that we have a Savior and a brother and a, and a father who never gave in to apathy. He never got weary. He got weary, but he didn't give in to it. He never lived like he had given up. You know, one of the last things he did right before he died was save a person. Never gave up. He did what it took to be sure, as I said, he was on the right path. He was all in. He was all in, full ahead toward the prize. No concern for his own temporary comfort. No worry about tomorrow. Just fully embracing who God had made him to be and what God had called him to do. See, you don't have to worry about what somebody else is doing. Just figure out what God made you to do. And if you're not sure, it's, it's simple. It's good to go to the worship, to the assembly, the ecclesia. It's good to give a portion of your earnings. It's good to give a portion of your time. And in the meantime, keep praying and God will show you. It doesn't have to be some big, complicated thing. I want to ask you again. I want you to take this home because this is not what I want. This is what I feel God has put in my heart. Are you all in? Members of Hendersonville Ecclesia. Frequent attenders. Everybody who's been, everybody except one person has been here before. And I feel like, I feel a kindredness with you. I, we didn't even talk yet, but I feel it. But listen, are you all in? Are you holding back just in case? Are you all into this congregation? Are you saying in your heart, I'm ready, Lord, to do what you want? I'm going to give a little more of my time than I usually do. I'm going to give a little more of my effort. I'm going to give a little more of my money. Because I believe in what you've placed us here to do. And then take that further to your own life. Are you living your life? Lord, I'm going to get up ten minutes early to spend a little time on you. I'm going to go to bed a little bit later to make sure I pray before bed. You want to do that? I don't know if you do or not, but I hope you'll take time to think about it. Sometimes the Lord puts things in our heart that stick with us. And I feel like this is, this is a poem I wrote that he gave me. Uh, around when I was first called to preach, 2006. And I want to read it to you, because it's still how my heart feels. It's called, Spread Those Seeds and Grow. And this is how I'll close. I want to be transitory, like dandelion seeds are transitory. Dandelion seeds that do not worry about their homes, but set up shop under the sun, ignore everyone, and do not say, help me find my way. But flit and float and flutter about, full of dirt and chlorophyll. And who, no matter how many times we stamp them out, keep resurrecting. 
who will not take bribes or compromise themselves, who will not change their ways or take their own ship's helm, but rest and wait and hibernate, and will not live in a box and will not be conformed even when they're stuck in the mud, growing like storm clouds on a windy day, silent sowers that will not retreat from the edge of the flower bed or the middle of the yard, and are hated every moment of every day, but spread those seeds and grow." who are never running scared, but are running all out, full ahead, toward the prize. And I try to be as transitory as those dandelion seeds, as transitory as all of nature, dancing in the breeze of the very breath of God. That's still how my heart feels. Somebody else might have said it better, but that's how the Lord gave it to me to say. I love you all this morning. I want your life to be better than you can imagine. And I know God can do it because my life's better than I could have imagined it. And it's going to get better. Let's have a song. Uh, give everybody a chance for this to sink in and maybe stretch your legs. Maybe we'll stand and sing. I don't ever know what the Lord needs to lead or needs to happen. If somebody needs to pray, you feel free to seek the Lord. If somebody needs to repent, repent. This, this altar is a good place to pray if you need to. But if you already know the Lord and you just want to soak up what has been taught today, you do that too. Just follow the Lord in the rest of the service. God bless you all.